Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring It to the Table with your host George, Stephen and myself, Connor. For those new listeners, this is a podcast where every episode we all bring a different topic to our imaginary table and try to get each other and the listeners interested in it. So far, we've had topics about films, TV shows and music, all the way through to a troubled man talking about how the earth is in a time cube. It's the podcast where anything can come up. So, should we get this podcasted? George, how you been, mate? I've been good, man. I've been good. I really enjoyed that introduction. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's, just, it's a bit shaky for some reason, but yeah, I'm glad I got it out of the way. <laughs> how about you, Stephen? You okay, bud? I'm good, mate. Yeah, I had a pretty intense weekend on tequila, which Ooh. I regret. But yeah, all, other than that, lovely to see you both again. I think the imaginary table might be a real table soon. Hopefully, mate. Yeah, COVID's coming to an end, isn't it? Better be. Well, can you believe it's episode five? I know. How are you, Connor, by the way? We forgot to ask. How are you? Oh, fine. Thank you, mate. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the clocks going forward and having a bit more light in the... Uh... In, the, in our days now, it makes a hell of a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it is nice. It kind of threw me a bit for the first couple of days. I, I missed that hour. But <laughs> yeah. now, that, now that my body's adjusted, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is nice having late, later evenings. Well, we've had an email, haven't we, to our podcast email address, which is show at bitpod, B-I-T-T-P-O-D.com. Stephen, would you like to read it out? We have. I, had, I spent a few few hours dusting the inbox off because it was so so uh, void of anything any interaction but i am happy to report that we have had an email come through <laughs> it was sent actually uh, a couple of weeks ago so apologies to our our dear and loyal fan who's written in so hi george connor and stephen george's older brother and better looking one kev here <laughs> enjoying your podcast guys I only listened to the first two episodes and got joe's debut in episode three to look forward to firstly tell george that if he tries to sell our pokemon cards without my agreement he will suffer a fate worse than fate worse than death like <laughs> <laughs> had a quote there from big kev yeah. secondly uh, and this is a little bit more specific to the previous episode i think it might have been our first episode actually he says he wanted to flag up an even crazier bird related thing he said, if you think that ring-necked parakeets are an oddball bird in the north of England, up in the wilds of Cumbria, there's a small town in the hills, which is home to wild macaws. So these are large, bright, multicoloured parrots that are more at home in the Amazon rainforest. Because I think the ones in Kirkby are scarlet macaws, though I could be wrong. I'm not sure if they're still there anymore, so it'd be nice if another listener could confirm or deny their survival in Cumbria. He finishes the email by saying, imagine driving past a little spa shop on the high street and seeing a giant bright red and blue bird from the subtropical Americas swoop loudly in front of you. Keep up the good work, Kev. So thank you very much for getting in touch, Kev. And oh, yeah, so, some interesting stuff there. I, I've, I've seen a macaw, but not obviously in person. Mm. These sound like they would be a bit of a sight up in somewhere like Cumbria. Yeah, man, they're like big, beautiful parrots and they're often like, shown as like the you know epitome of rainforest bird like you know mm. the the tropical amazon rainforest bird but yeah to have them actually native to england sounds mental appreciate that kev thanks for writing in yeah you legend kev mate you're the first person aren't you 
and he will not be the last. I am adamant <laughs> that we are going to get more people emailing in. So as Connor mentioned, it's show at bitpod.com, B-I-T-T-P-O-D. Do get in touch. Get in touch on the socials as well. We are on Twitter and Instagram at bitpod. We've already had a person on Instagram by the name of Daz get in touch with us about last week's episode, or should I say last fortnight's episode. He sent me a link to a YouTube channel called... Milag Merg or Milag Mig. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's this lad who works at Subway and he records himself making sandwiches there with a GoPro camera. So it's like point of view and he overdubs it with like, he chats about customers he's had at Subway. It's really funny, honestly. I really check it out. Thanks for that, Daz, mate. I hope you guys enjoy watching it as well so the youtube channel was called milag merg m-i-l-a-g m-i-r-g nice we've had two nice. bits of listener feedback yeah we must be doing something right this time didn't we if you are listening and you're enjoying the show then do just let us know we we appreciate the love and you know we don't really care how many people listen to this just that the ones who are listening are enjoying it and taking something from it indeed indeed like so um Last week's going back to last week's episode, the uh, subway. I definitely went. I went and got a subway. I, uh, I grabbed one of those plant patty ones and mm. just loaded it full of veg. Fucking stunning! I haven't had a subway since the start of lockdown, so to go back and have a subway, it was a dream, a dream. <laughs> oh God, Stephen, did you have one as well? Then, of course I did, mate. Yeah. I couldn't find brick. I think the only way to get my hands on that film is to purchase it. But what I could get my hands on was a foot long chicken and bacon ranch and it was <laughs> delightful well i didn't have a subway funny enough but i did find out i have got a copy of brick so Ooh, what? yeah i have one i didn't bother to watch it though i'm really sorry <laughs> <laughs> to watch youtube videos of subway instead <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. You've, you've avoided watching the film in lieu yeah. of watching a gopro sandwich maker i love it <laughs> yeah Connor, I'm thinking that when when we are allowed to, mate, we we all bundle around yours for a night of of brick. Yeah, brick the film and subway. Yeah, brick and subway. Yeah, <laughs> gonna smash my windows in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Right, should we go straight into this episode, episode five? George, you're the first to talk about what they're bringing to the table. So take it away, my man. Bring it to the table. Thank you, Connor. Uh, today, uh, this week's episode of our podcast, I'm going to bring to the table a comic book, uh, a comic book in particular that um, basically got me into comic books and started my uh, pretty big passion for comics. When I was a kid in school and stuff like that, I would uh, always try to read. Uh, my dad would even uh, read to me. I remember him like, reading Lord of the Rings to me when I was a kid and uh, I've always tried to get into books, um, but always found it really, really hard. Uh, always struggled. And I, later on in life, found out uh, towards the end of secondary school that um, I was quite heavily dyslexic with um, with reading. So it was my processing skills that I, I always struggled with. I could never process what I was reading. I'd have to read it like three or four times before I could properly like take it in. Uh, so it wasn't that long ago really uh, I think I got into comic books probably about 10 years ago and it was at that point that I realized that the visual elements of a comic book you know got me inspired and had me reading a lot more having not been able to read books and always wanting to reading comics became like this huge passion for me and I uh, 
I really like sort of fell head over heels for for pretty much every comic book going. Uh, funnily enough, except for the, the most um, prominent comic books going, which are like superhero comic books. I never really got into those. Mm. Um, do you guys read comic books? I've never read one, ever. Never? No. Where? Yeah, so I used to read some, but I think maybe I'm talking about like comics as opposed to maybe what you might be referring to as something a little bit more sort of meatier, like a graphic novel. Is that right? Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, uh, most comics, uh, when they're um, sort of brought out or brought out as issues, um, and then they're like sort of compiled into individual uh, sort of compendiums, uh, sometimes small or whatever, but uh, it'll generally be like, so there'll be like issue one of a comic book will have a title and then that title will go on for like maybe 10 or 12 issues or something like that and that will make one comic book so that's what I read I tend to read them once they've fully come out it's it's like it's like binge watching a series rather than watching an episode at a time I prefer to have the whole thing there and just binge it mm-hmm. but anyway yeah so my topic this week uh, is going to be the Walking Dead comic books so that is pretty much what got me into uh, comic books because I hadn't really picked anything up until um, quite late on and there was a quite a lot of Walking Deads out there and I believe I'd already watched maybe a few episodes of the first season so I thought oh this is a great gateway into enjoying comic books and to be honest it it, uh, it just grabbed me, my attention immediately and had me reading and wanting more and more and more and I always say when people like sort of start talking about Walking Dead the series I'm always like have you read the comic books because the comic books are what you need to read. It's, <laughs> it's not the series. And um, the reason I always say that is because it's, it's so much better as a, as, as a comic book. Anyway, just to give you a bit of a, a, a background on um, Walking Dead, um, sort of how it started and um, the, the, the gist of, of the concept. I'm sure you guys are familiar with uh, Walking Dead. But um, for the listeners out there who have not heard of Walking Dead, been living in a cave somewhere. (laughs) um, (laughs) So The Walking Dead is a post-apocalyptic series. It's about uh, zombies and it follows quite heavily uh, this guy called Rick Grimes. Uh, Rick Grimes was a county sheriff who gets shot uh, just while he's out on patrol. He then goes into a coma, and when he wakes up, the whole world's gone to shit. There's zombies everywhere, and it's a, a post-apocalyptic setting. He wakes up confused, leaves, and tries to find his uh, family. And in doing so, he sort of sees zombies and starts to get a bit freaked out. Uh, a bit like 28 Days Later, 28 Days Later, if you've seen that film. It's exactly the same as that. He... Goes to try and find his family, can't find them, and ends up uh, hitting the road to try and locate uh, his his wife and son, and ends up finding a camp of people, and basically it just goes on from there. They go from camp to camp, it's all about survival, and it always follows this one guy, Rick Grimes. Um, the comic book series is written by a guy called uh, Robert Kirkman, and uh, he sort of wrote and created it and the artist was a guy called Tony Moore uh, or Moore if you're not a Geordie <laughs> <laughs> initially they were done by Tony Moore and then 
after I think it was issue six, uh, there was uh, uh, another person came in called uh, Charlie Adlard, who ended up uh, doing the rest of the comic books, um, doing pretty much all the penciling and inking for uh, the rest of the, the series. And the, the series itself, it spanned for 193 issues. I wouldn't actually be able to tell you how many um, that is in terms of books. I'm just trying to think of a way to do that. <laughs> Quick math time. <laughs> I'm not so even gonna try. It's, it's like 193 issues, which would all contain approximately like nine or 10 separate comics. Is that correct? No, no. So the issues are the individual uh, comics. So okay. there's 193 issues. So every six issues uh, went into a separate chapter of Walking Dead, if you will, which became a volume. So a volume is uh, six issues, and then those volumes go into compendiums, for which there's four. <laughs> it's a bit, a bit confusing, but basically it starts with volume one, which is Days Gone By, which has six issues contained in it, and that started in 2003, 2004. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that was obviously the first volume whereupon Rick w- wakes up and it goes all the way up to the last volume, which is Rest in Peace, which um, kind of alludes towards an ending, but I will not give that up. Hmm. I'll, I'll try and keep this as spoiler free as possible, although I can guarantee that I am going to give away some spoilers because I do want to talk a little bit about why I think the comic book is so much better than the series just to <laughs> sort of maybe encourage you guys to if you did want to get into comics or the listeners at home if you guys wanted to get into comics feel like walking dead was a great starting point okay um, can i ask you george sorry yeah? what drove you to this one first did you say it was recommended to you by a friend it was actually um i had an old friend uh jonathan purdy who um I went to the shop with him and he was looking for a, um, a volume of comic books. And I believe it was Walking Dead that he bought. And that kind of cemented in my mind that if I ever wanted to buy a comic book, that might be the one that I would get because it was really cool. Like stylistically, it's all in black and white mm. and it's all like really cool zombies and the, the action that happens in there. The artists are phenomenal and just reading blurbs and stuff like that kind of allude to the kind of story that I'd really get into, you know, a post-apocalyptic world that has really interesting characters that have a really interesting story arc. There's, there's other comic books out there, and the most obvious one to, would be to go to something like DC or Marvel, which, ironically, Robert Kirkman actually did write a few Marvel comics. Uh, I don't oh, think okay. it's quite how he started out. I think pretty much Walking Dead is how he almost started out. I think he did a couple things before that. And through that, he sort of did a few uh, guest appearances on Marvel comics. And he's since done like other things. Like he did another comic called Outlast, which went straight to TV just because of the success of Walking Dead, I imagine. Mm. And Outlast was um, sort of about, it was almost like Constantine, you know, like demons living amongst us in a, in a town. Is the game um, Outlast based on that at all? Or is that completely separate? I've never played that game. I think it's separate. I think okay. Outlast the game is zombies. That could, I could be completely wrong on that. Yeah, I think it is like a first-person kind of uh, jumpy type zombie game. But I also didn't realize as well how not not late, but the TV series came out when I was at UD, so it must have been two thousand and nine, ten, right? Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. Yeah. 
So, and you said the comics came out when, sorry, 2003. It was 2003 was when the concept was first started. I don't think the first issue came out until 2004. I could be wrong. Okay. Um, but I believe um, it was 2003, 2004 time. And it, it only finished, the comic book series is finished now, and it's, it only finished in 2019, which was actually a surprise oh. to me. I like read the last comic book and it came to like this really groundbreaking ending. And I was like, Oh, if I just finished the comic book series, so it just, I felt really underwhelmed by it. Um, not that it isn't a superb ending. It's, I mean, it's superb from start to finish. So it's published by Image Comic Books. So in my eyes, Image, just for me personally, I'm, I'm sure everybody has their own op uh, opinions on this, but Image are the best publishers for comics. They seem to always pick the the best stories. There's um, There's a few... Uh, comic books I follow, uh, Paper Girls, Chew, Revival, uh, Saga, those comic book series are absolutely phenomenal and they're all published by Image. I don't know if that's uh, somewhat of a, a coincidence, but they do seem to really work at getting really good indie comic books that turn massive. So yeah, Walking Dead specifically, just to go back to my topic, um, I think it's a really good starting point for anybody who's looking to get into comics. Uh, it's it's obviously vast, 193 issues, mentally big. The books that I have to the left of me, I've got all four compendiums, which are obviously all 193, and it, it takes up like a good portion of my shelf. It's huge. It's really, really vast. The series, a lot of people I know, me included, got a little bit um, tired of the series. It got to a certain point. And then like some guy had a, a pet tiger and some other stuff happened <laughs> and everybody started to lose interest because it seemed so bizarre. The comic book, I, I did not lose interest once during the whole thing. I just thought it was brilliant from start to finish. And Robert Kirkman's always said, you know, this story, the, the series, it never really was supposed to be about zombies or like, you know, a world in which everything is just zombie based that the story was supposed to follow rick grimes and it's supposed to be a massive character-led story arc that follows this guy and his like emotional struggle yeah. with like the things going on around him and the various people that get introduced and the various people he lo loses during during that whole um series yeah and that very much comes through it's it's very it's very intense and, it, and a lot of stuff that Rick Gimes goes through, you kind of question whether you'd go through it too. And it just, it, yeah. the, the character development is phenomenal. It's it, far none, probably my favorite character development out of any series. Okay. Which brings me on nicely to maybe a few points that, that differ from the, uh, the series. Yeah, please do. That's that was going to be one of my first questions actually, mate. Go on. Yeah. I've got, <laughs> I've got a bunch of questions. So <laughs> Have you, have you guys watched the series then? I'm not really up to speed with it. My partner Sarah watches it quite a lot and I've just been in and out, you know, seeing bits and bobs. I don't really know what's going on apart from zombies everywhere and Rick Grimes just kicking ass. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I hope that's right. What about you, Webb? I'm similar to you really, mate. So I kind of, without giving too much away to anyone who hasn't seen it or is wanting to read it on the back of this episode, I've got up to the Negan time frame. Right. Uh, and I've seen the guy with the lion 
And it's quite interesting, actually, that you said. So it, it was actually still being written almost way ahead of the TV series, I guess. They, they were constantly not playing catch up with the source material, but I, I always think of things like adaptations, such as Game of Thrones, for example. They got ahead of the books. It mm. sounds like The Walking Dead were always uh, never short of material being made. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Kirkman knew how it was going to end before uh, he had completed the series. So he'd sort of got it in his head what was going to happen from start to finish cool. and knew exactly how it was all going to go down. But he hadn't like filled in the gaps And he always said that his comic book series could go on for a thousand issues. It could go on for a hundred. He didn't really know. Um, And I remember reading an article when he was maybe on his like 50th issue that he he felt that way and that he he was a bit like, he he kept like this binder of like different stories and things and he'd get excited about something. He'd start writing about something. He always knew how it was going to end, but he wanted Rick to go through some pretty heavy stuff in between. It's funny, like you, you bring up Negan. Negan's a, a, a fantastic character in, in Walking Dead, but he doesn't shine as well in the series, I don't think. He, he, it, it's another massive, massive uh, character development uh, story arc for Rick to go through where he hates this Negan. Negan's done some awful stuff. Um, he killed one of the, the main members. I won't give away who, just in case people haven't watched the series or, the, or read the books. Um, it's one of the most like heart-wrenching bits to ever happen. Um, and it definitely happens differently. But yeah, it, it's really hard for Rick to forgive Negan. And that is such a, a powerful story arc. And the character development from, from Rick's point of view, you sometimes hate him, you sometimes love him, but um, I don't think they do it justice in the, in the series. With, with that in mind, um, I will give away uh, one spoiler for the comic book, not necessarily a spoiler for the, the series. Um, okay. So one of, one of the key character development points about Rick Grimes, and I think it's key, and I'm sure some listeners who've read the comics would agree with me, um, is that uh, during the time when he, he visits a certain town, I actually remember the name of the town that's, that's eluded me, is this the um, one with the with the governor? Uh, it was the one with the governor. Yes, the I can't governor. remember what it's called, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's like this little kind of perfect compound, isn't it? Yes, yeah. But anyway, Rick gets sort of taken into a room, um, and he essentially he he, he gets his hand chopped off. Ooh. I wouldn't say it's soon on. I think the the, time, the passage of time is a little bit different in the comic books. I think it's 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 almost like halfway through the comics. Uh, Rick gets his hand chopped off, and now Rick's like this really powerful character, and he's the leader. And half the time, when he's like having to make a decision for the group, he's making it on the basis that he's a strong character, and he can he's always survived. It's there's this massive massive plot point or a key character trait that he has with the rest of his group where he always says, we just keep surviving. You know, what, what comes our way, we'll just survive because that's what we do. It's almost like a luck trait. He just feels like him and his group are so lucky. And no matter what, people die around him and he never seems to die. It's almost becomes like a bit of a, a soft touch point for him because he just feels like he needs to die because he's just sick of living in this awful world. But right. he keeps on going on for the sake of Carl and for the sake of the group. But 
the reason I think it's so integral that that became such a massive point in his character development is because of, of the fact that he then struggles with not having a hand, not being the strongest. He often gets beaten the shit out of, and he often really struggles with uh, keeping and maintaining that leadership role and people second guess him. And then he feels weak and his mind starts to feel weak. And it, again, it, I just think it, they shouldn't have changed it in the series. It's, it's really interesting Like they do change like little weird bits. Yeah. And I honestly believe in earnest that, you know, the comic book got it right on every single point, blew it out of the park. And then the series toyed with little things that caused people like you and me to completely lose faith in the series. <laughs> yeah. Am I right in saying that Daryl doesn't even exist in the comics? Yeah, no, nah, Daryl's not even in it, no. That's strange, isn't it? Because he's such a major character in the TV show to just be completely made up. Yeah, I mean, that's an example of something they've done right. Yeah, that's... don't get me wrong. That Yeah, Daryl's a cool character, but it's strange that he's not in the the lore, if you like, of the story that Robert Kirkman's created, because he's quite heavily involved, isn't he, with the TV show? Am I, am I right in thinking that he's he's not just giving it away to some studio to bastardise? He's quite hands-on with it. Yeah, you're completely right. Um, and a part of me just thinks, you know, it was Robert Kirkman's, um, Robert Kirkman's way of maybe trying some things out that he kind of maybe wanted to do, but didn't know how it would turn out and maybe thought it would work better. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean... It's... Do the creators of the comics give permission for the directors and writers of the show to make those drastic changes? Yeah. I wonder what completely. the legalities are. Yeah. Or just yeah, complete like, control, really. Well, yeah, like like um like Webb said, Robert Kirkman actually had such a, a heavy involvement in the series. I imagine it would happen in the same way with Game of Thrones, where Robert R. R. Martin kind of executive produced almost. He sort of okayed a lot of the decisions that were made. Oh, right. um, but Robert Kirkman was heavily involved in it and I think probably made some of the decisions uh, and the changes from the, the comic book. Things that he thought might have worked better, ultimately, he was probably wrong in that regard. Possibly. Well, you can get in touch, listeners, and let us know your thoughts on that. Our email address is show at bitpod.com. That's B-I-T-T-P-O-D. And you can also get in touch with us on Instagram and Twitter, which is at bitpod, B-I-T-T-P-O-D. P.O.D. I thought that was quite good, George. Thanks for bringing that up. I've never read a comic before, and now I've got a perfect opportunity to read mm-hmm. one that makes sense because I've always, I've seen bits of Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a really good one to start with. What about you, Steve? What do you think? Yeah, super interesting. I, I like what you said originally as well, George. You know, you mentioned that you, you suffer with dyslexia. Be interesting as well if any other listeners have found that comic books are a easier route into getting into literature because it can be a bit daunting, I suppose, to pick up a, a huge novel and try yeah. and trope through something that's, that's just purely, you know, words on a page. Yeah. Did you find, George, that it was, you mentioned it was the images, of course, but did you find sort of the font and the maybe shorter blocks of, of text quite helpful in that regard? 100%, 100%. Um, like a lot of people, um at the moment, especially like in these modern days, I, I have a very short attention span. And I, I do think that short snippets of just reading like little tiny uh, like uh, speech bubbles of writing, that massively helped. I think pictures were instrumental. You know, I've always loved film and TV, but I think the short snippets of like little speech bubbles of writing massively helped as well. So yeah, I again, I, I would massively be interested in anybody else who've, who, who's 
felt that they've had the similar sort of experience as me, unable to read novels, but find it easier to read comics. Or if, if they had any other suggestions for me personally um, in things to read, I'd be very interested to hear from them. <laughs> Well, well done, George. Again, if you want to get in touch, it's show at bitpod.com on email or over on Instagram and Twitter, it's at bitpod, B-I-T-T-P-O-D. Right, Stephen, it's now your time to bring something to the table. Bring it to the table! Yes, so... Are you guys familiar with the TV series, The Walking Dead? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I do have a TV series for you this week, boys. Uh, it's I think it's the first time I bought a TV show to you. I know I bought a game show before, but I don't class them as a series. Depends okay. if you class wrestling as a TV show. but Yeah, it is. the Yeah, Monday Night Raw is the longest episodic weekly running show in America, actually. So maybe that is. But it's a show called Alone. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. Nope. Possibly, possibly. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, so there have been seven seasons of this. I've only seen the first two. So today I'm only going to be speaking to you about the first two. And again, I've got to try and keep it relatively spoiler free. It's 10 people get dropped on a place called Vancouver Island in the first two seasons. I think the location does change down the line. They've got their own camera equipment and their own survival gear. They're not novices. They kind of do this for a hobby and for, you know, for long periods of time. They're not just sort of any Tom, Dick and Harry who gets dropped in the middle of nowhere, but they are only allowed a set amount of items and they are all separated by something that they cannot pass to reach another person. So the idea is that they are in complete isolation on this island. So there might be this huge body of water. There might be some mountains. There might be a a big canyon that they can't cross. Okay. Uh, And it's Vancouver Island is situated in the Pacific Northwest, which is sort of uh, top of America slash Canada on that side, on the Pacific side. And it's really rough terrain. There's not a lot of food there. You can quite easily encounter things like black bears, cougars, and things like that. Right. The idea is that you basically, you land there, you film everything yourself. So every, all the footage that gets used throughout the series is stuff that the contestants have done themselves. Things like making fires, catching fish, building shelters, whatever it may be. And the, the person who survives the longest wins $500,000. So it's pretty big money, pretty life-changing yeah. money. You get some people who just instantly, when they get there, they just can't hack it. And I don't think this is going to be giving it away too much. There was a guy in season one called Josh who lasted for 12 hours. So he got dropped on the island. 12 hours later, um, he felt like he was going to be attacked by a group of bears because his his little drop-off point that he'd chosen, I think before the show, they all get to pick where they want to be on the island. Yeah. So some people favour shelter, some people favour water. And yeah, 12 hours in, he you get a, a walkie-talkie phone and you can just basically press a distress button and they'll come pick you up in a boat and off you go. Uh, and then it'll be nine people remain. And typically the season's about 10, 11 episodes long. You get people who maybe last a couple of days. So I won't read the characters who have gone, but I'll read some of the, the reasons as to why they left. Oh, lovely. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. So reason that they tapped out 
We had, of course, Josh, who I've mentioned, Fair of Bears. Day two, somebody left from a Fair of Wolves. Okay. There was a guy who looked to be maybe on to go a long way in it. And they have these things called a ferro rod, which is a little black rod that you can spark, a, you can create a spark from for a fire. Sure. Oh, like a flint. Yeah, basically. It's kind of like a, a long lasting flint. And if you've got that, you can make a fire at any point effectively if you're in somewhere dry enough, like a shelter. Mm. And he's filming himself creating this fire and he lays his ferro rod down and then goes off to do something else. And you actually see from the footage that his rod falls into his fire pit and he he doesn't realise, so he's lost it and he, he, he's like pitch black on this island at night. And it, effectively he leaves the show because he's lost that. And it's a real kick in the teeth for him because he was kind of set to be a bit of a long lasting one. Yeah. And just little things like that, little stupid things like losing this little tiny rod kind of screwed him over. Yeah. You, you get people who have families who are either potentially going to have children or are potentially ill with things like cancer and it gets to maybe like the 40th or 50th day and right. they're just like i just need to go home like i just need to be with my you know my pregnant wife who whatever it may be and ultimately then there is a winner crowned and they don't get told obviously straight away that they're the last one standing what happens is i think they let them see through the remainder of that day and then they fly out their uh, spouse or whoever it may be to the island. And they're sort of ragged as hell by this point. They've been on this island for, I won't, as I say, I won't sort of give away the time frames, but you're looking at anywhere between sort of 50 and 60 days. Bloody hell. <laughs> it, yeah, it's pretty mad. Me and my partner, Charlie, who you both know, we've been watching the first couple of seasons and you think, oh God, I could do that. And then you see it go on for a couple more days and you're like, God, I probably couldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Little facts will pop up on the screen just saying things like it's the most densely populated area for cougars in in this region. And it'll come up with a little snippet of information that cougars only ever attack their prey from behind. (laughs) God. Yeah, you go out for like a whiz in the middle of the night or you go out for like a poo or whatever from your tent. In, you just know that a cougar could just be looking at you from behind, ready to sort of like kill you, basically. So it's nuts, and it's all self documented, uh, self documented, and it's great. I think it's a, it's a really good show. I, I'd highly recommend it for anyone listening who's into things that are a little bit uh, unusual. Mm. The two winners as well have been sort of really likable people who you you feel good for for winning. Sure, but yeah, it can get it can get pretty grim. <laughs> Sounds well, um, really good. Like, I really like the sound of it. It sounds a lot like Bear Grylls, The Island. Have you seen that? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I haven't, but I, I do know what that entailed. And I think it's similar to that, but it's because it's American. It They kind of like ramp everything up, don't they, to the most extreme. Yeah. So you you do get that sort of over-exaggerate, over-exaggeration of people going like, oh God, I know I got killed by a bear. It's like, well, you didn't. Like, you just you thought you heard one in the woods and you shit yourself, basically. But there was a guy, a young guy in the first season as well, who just got so hungry, he, he couldn't catch fish. He he just struggled to get any food. That he ended up creating traps where he like get a huge rock and you sort of lever it up, and he was just eating mice for like a week. Wow. So just just field mice, he crunch them, crunch them to death with this rock cook them you'd get about that much meat off them 
he's eating like their teeth, like uh, mice teeth and eyes and stuff. And yeah, it's not one to watch while you're having your tea. I, I would <laughs> say either eat your tea before or after watching this, but mm. it's it's great. It's compelling stuff. I, I can't get enough of it. Mm. What, what do you watch it on then, Steve? So it's on Amazon. Uh, you, you can buy them on Amazon. So even if you've got Prime, they still cost to purchase. Oh, yeah, that old chestnut. Yeah, you might be able to pick them up on DVD because I think season one came out a little while back. Yeah, so 2015 was the first season. Okay. It was on the History Channel, so it's it has been televised you know, throughout. As I say, there's been seven seasons now. Sounds really good. So are these guys alone, I take it then, like as the name suggests? Completely. So you've got, yeah. I, I believe they're not televised, but there are occasional medical checkups. Mm-hmm. So the production crew will either helicopter out to them or boat out to them just to sort of check that they're not too ill to carry on. Yeah. yeah. You get things where guys like try to build rafts or boats to go out over the water to fish. Mm. And like, if you go in the water, I think it starts around August, September time. So it, it always in leads into, yeah, well, it leads into winter. So yeah. it, you can just have days where it's like raining for the whole day. You can't leave your shelter. It's freezing. And if you get wet, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, so I guess that's how it differs from like something like Berg, the Island, because they're like a team almost working together. Sometimes they split them into two groups and they choose like women and men or something like that. But there's always like that annoying drama element of people just being people, you know, just being dickheads. This sounds a lot better to me because I like the fact that they're alone and they're having to use their own individual survival instincts. I really like the sound of this. I'll definitely be given that a watch. You've completely hit the nail on the head. So I think a lot of it is, it's not, the terrain is super tough and the conditions and things like that. But if you can get to the point where you can regularly catch food, cook food, stay warm, stay dry, you've still then got that battle of being on your own. And yeah. you just you just see them kind of devolve into a little bit of madness and stuff because they've only got a camera to talk to. They've got absolutely no one to talk to. There's a guy in season two, I think, who made a ukulele. Right. Super cool. Like some of the craft work that they do on it, they just sort of rock up in the woods and they build like a hut out of just tree trunks. And it was amazing. Uh, and this guy made like a ukulele just so he could keep music going in his in his life. Yeah, very important. Yeah, it is. And a lot of it is more to do with the mental psyche of it than it is to do with the actual place. Mm. But it doesn't help because, as you probably both know, when you're losing a lot of calories or not taking in your usual cal- calorie intake, you can get a bit down. You can feel a bit lethargic. That leads to like emotions uh, and hallucinations and stuff like that. And if one little thing goes wrong, you you can kind of just get down on yourself and just start like breaking down. Mm. Very quickly, I could imagine. So essentially, if they recorded themselves on the island, it would only be edited together as a show when they, when everyone's off the island, right? When they've got all the footage back. I believe so. I think I don't think that it's something that's kind of streamed through to edit. I think it's all filmed and then all released like that. Yeah. And again, that's another element that's quite difficult. They're lugging around all this camera gear because yeah. there's an obligation for them to film it for for the show. So exactly. Yeah. Surely, like your instincts would kick in if you're getting beaten up by a bear. You're not going to get the camera out first, are you? And then yeah. you know the editors will be really annoyed. I mean, lad, yeah, you almost died. You didn't get it on camera. 
that they must have a feed through to at least one of the cameras, I guess. Mm. Because if they do get into like some serious shit, then they'd have to be pretty quick on there. If if for some reason they couldn't ring their distress button. Again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's it's television. Do you know what I mean? It's there, yeah. there will there will be things that aren't quite what they seem. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but it is it's quite compelling. It, it seems almost odd because like with Bear Grylls, obviously they actually get camera people to go on the island. Like they they seek after like people who actually know how to use a camera. So I was wondering what what is the uh, footage like is it all like found footage like really hard to watch or is it pretty good footage are these guys sort of trained in it beforehand they probably are trained it, it tends to be so there'll, there'll be a camp camera so set up just by their tent um and they're they're mic'd up so they're speaking about you know things like what they're cooking what they're building they then i think have gopros for when they're sort of out on the beach trying to find limpets or mussels or whatever they could get their hands on and then i think they may have another camera which some of them attach to things like boats because there are 10 contestants. There's always enough footage to get you through like a 45 minute episode. Okay. There'll be sometimes, I think when you get down to the final two, for example, if the weather's particularly bad by the time you're in winter, it will just sort of go from day 46 to day 49 because there might've been three days there where there was just nothing usable. Yeah. Uh, so, so it always sort of jumps days. It doesn't kind of go day one, two, three, four. It doesn't go directly like that. It'll jump forward a few and I imagine that's probably down to the fact that it's just been miserable outside or there's just mm. nothing to really report back. It's incredible that GoPros have really revolutionised the sort of outside filming yeah. aspect, haven't they? You know, I always had a lot of respect for the camera people, the crew basically on the Bear Grylls team mm. because Bear Grylls is getting into all these shenanigans and you think, bloody hell, he's hard. But then you think, actually, someone's holding a fucking camera behind him <laughs> yeah. as well. So he's pretty much the same, if not better. But no, thank you, mate. I mean... I'm definitely intrigued in, in intrigued in that. I've mm. never paid for anything on top of Amazon Prime before, so I think that might be the first one. Yeah, it's a bit of a ball ache. I, I, you know, we mentioned it on, on last time. If there are workarounds, then you know, do, do your thing, listeners. Uh, it's a it, it's it's a free world, isn't it? But it's um it's good stuff. I, I'd say I think I don't think season three onward is even available to purchase on Amazon. So I might have to maybe. Do a little dig out on Amazon for that, but God's forcing you to pirate, and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is the History Channel part of like the National Geographic channels? Because then it maybe could be on Disney Plus. Oh, do you know what? So it is definitely part of that, and I think History Channel is associated with that. I just don't know. They might have. I'm fairly sure, in fact, that sort of season six or seven is on Now TV. Oh, okay, okay yeah. but I, you kind of want to start it from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do. I'm a bit of a completionist weirdo like that. I'd, I'd never start, <laughs> even though none of it's correlated. I think I like the I like the chronology of things. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one more question for all of you, and mm. I'm sure the uh, listeners as well will be thinking this. How long do you boys think you'd last on Vancouver Island? So, having got the experience now of seeing how to do it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you know what? I genuinely believe that I'm absolutely crap at stuff like being a survivalist. These these guys are all that. So it's not like it, it'd be people like us getting dropped in. But if I could do the basics, like build shelter, build fire, mm. catch fish and whatnot, I could 100% outlast everyone else on the alone side of things. Okay, I think I'm quite good in my own company. I think even if I got isolated, I'd still be able to to do it. I'd massively struggle with the other stuff like, putting a tarp up 
and like yeah. creating any form of uh, fishing net or whatever. But if I could do all the survival stuff, yeah, I reckon I reckon I could stay there too for five hundred k. For five hundred k, it'd be mad. I'd be I'd be able to do it. Do you reckon? So I don't know, maybe I'll probably get eaten after one yeah. day. <laughs> I honestly think I am the complete opposite of you, Web. Yeah. <laughs> I, me, me and you together would smash it. <laughs> yeah. I think I would be really good at like all the crafty stuff. I mean, you, you boys know what I'm like. I, I love building stuff. And um, yeah, I honestly think I could kill and eat something. It wouldn't be a, a problem for me. And I think the survival element of it, I'd be okay on. I think the mental side of it, I'd really struggle with the loneliness and stuff. Um, I think that's maybe what I would struggle with the most. What about you, Con? I really don't know. Um, I don't think 500k would be enough for me to do it. So really? I, wouldn't, I wouldn't last long. No, I think, I mean, it is a lot of money, but being on an island on your own, I, f- I feel like I will get bitten by a spider. Oh, something will eat me. If there wasn't anything that could eat me, I think I'd win. <laughs> but it's just that case of like, there'd be like a hornet's nest next to like where I camp and I'll just get to sleep and then you get woken up by like a hornet stinging your eye. I'll have to go home. I'm blind for the rest of my life now. <laughs> And you just know somebody's going to want to eat you because of all yeah. those BMTs you've been eating, mate. It's <laughs> big meaty tasty. That's, yeah. that's your nickname. <laughs> how many days then? Because if I'll have a look at season one, what are you saying, Connor? How many days to tell you where you'd have finished? Zero. <laughs> okay, so uh, you'd have gone before Josh, who was scared of bears. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then we'll do season two with you, George. How long do you think you could maybe do days-wise? I reckon I would be able to last at least a month and a week, so I'll say 40 days. 40 days, okay. So you'd have finished fifth overall. Fucking hell. The guy who went home fifth that that season, reason for leaving, had nothing left to accomplish. What? (laughs) 500k? (laughs) Yeah, I know, isn't it? Absolutely mad. Things like didn't like being alone, missed his wife. 500k. I know, isn't it? (laughs) I'd divorce my wife. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's what I'm bringing, guys, to the table this time round. I hope you guys check it out. And I hope anyone listening at home, if you've seen it, get in touch, because I'd love to get, I'd love to speak to people who have seen it as well. Not many people I know have seen it. It's it's fairly niche. Uh, And if you haven't seen it and want to check it out, yeah, I know it's a bit of a tough time at the minute. So if you don't want to drop 20 quid on Amazon, more than understandable. Of course, but make sure you let us know how long you think you'd last in the Vancouver Island, guys. Send us a message, just let us know, and we'll mention it on our next podcast, probably. Definitely. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Stephen. Thank you. Nibosh. Okay, cool. Well, it's time for the final topic of today's bit pod, which is going to be from me. So I'm going to take it away. I'm taking it away. Take it away. <laughs> I've took it. I've got it. I've taken it. Get back here. <laughs> I'm going to put it on the table now. <laughs> Make some room for this. Bring it to the table. So I promise not to go on as long as I did last time about Subway, but it kind of makes sense about, well, this topic makes more sense because of Subway, basically. So last week I bought something to eat. Now I'm going to bring something to drink. <laughs> Amazing. My favourite type of beer, which is sour beer. 
Okay. So what can you lads tell me about sour beer? Have you tried them before? I think I have. I have tried a couple, but I've thought these beers are out of this world. And it honestly tastes like uh, you're eating like a a sour candy, like a sour sweet. Mm. And then I've tasted some sour beers that simply taste like gone off beer that I absolutely can't stand. (laughs) Uh, I would definitely not put them in uh, my top 50 beers. I don't think any sour beer. I'm not not a fan. Yeah, that's understandable. It's quite a a quiet taste. I started off thinking they're revolting, but... (laughs) Do you have a favourite by any chance? Because it's quite a new type of beer in the UK. I'd say in the last sort of half a decade, it's become quite prevalent. So it's okay if you don't really, don't Are really they know. Are g- generally Belgian? Is that right? They can be. They started off as Belgian, but then you can get. I mean, UK breweries make them now. There's mm. a lot of ways to do it, but it was just made in Belgium. You know, with these old Belgian breweries. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, when we all worked together, I'm pretty sure we had a couple of sours available. Mm. on the bar and yeah i can't think of any names off the top of my head but i don't remember them ever leaving like a really good impression on my old taste buds i'll have to say that's absolutely fair enough yeah. mate. I'm, i've I'm, just been scrambling to try and find my favorite sour beer but i can't actually remember it was either by seven brothers or yeah. it might be tiny rebel i can't remember i think it was some somewhere more local but um yeah i, I think it was like a passion fruit sour can't remember so that's okay. That sounds delicious. Hopefully, by the time we finish speaking about it today, and you go off and have a little think, you might it might come back to you, and it might prompt you to try another one. But for those people listening that are out the loop, sour beer is essentially what it says on the tin. <laughs> it's a beer that tastes sour, which sounds a bit gross. Usually, a beer tasting sour means it's kind of gone off, really, and that is normally the case. It, it probably has gone off if it tastes sour, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So there's breweries out there that make their beer taste sour on purpose, kind of like what I said earlier to Stephen. It originated in Belgium, and the way that they'd make these beers sour would be to let the the wort, I believe, which is what... It's kind of hard to explain when I've never brewed before. I don't understand brewing as much as um, someone who's worked in a brewery before. So I'm going to give a really rubbish description. But (laughs) when you add malt and hops to hot water it makes a wort and I think what that wort is is the beer with all the mush like together before it's filtered yeah yeah and what these Belgian breweries would do would they would let the wort cool down outside in open air and all the bacteria in the open air would infect the beer and that's what would make it sour so that sounds revolting, and I think it was probably a accident that they just thought, well, we're going to drink it. It's a lot of beer to go to waste, and no one died. It sounds like economical, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, you've got to, it, it's, you don't want to waste any beer, really, do you, if it's quite scarce? So it's quite, it's, it just sounds so minging, man. It sounds so gross. Yeah, like you're having a sip of it, and then you'd be like, oh, that's a fly. you know there's a bit of grass in this one or a ladybug i don't know what insects are native to belgium possibly the same as the uk's that's topic next week (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah so originated belgium but you can find them all across the world now which is great for sour beer lovers like myself it's the wild yeast strains that make it sour so when it's been exposed to the air these wild yeast strains are sort of what comes in I'm not going to name what they are. There's three main types. I can't pronounce them. That's probably why I'm not going to 
<laughs> say what they are. But they're usually what goes into the beer and affects it and makes it sour. But you can also add fruit to the beer as well. So I know you lads are probably familiar with the fruit beers. I think the mm-hmm. Bacchus range is something we sold at the bar we used to work at. Mm-hmm. You know, fruit's naturally acidic, isn't it? And it's quite sour. So that seems like a more of a, a nicer tasting sour beer, doesn't it? If it's got yeah. fruit in it. So the mm-hmm. Bacchus stuff was quite popular, I thought. So a way to get people into sour beer would to be to, to basically sell it like it's a, a fruit beer because you bite into a fruit and it's got some natural acidity to it. So if you explain to someone, you know, it's like eating a bit of fruit, sometimes it might come across a bit of a uh, easier sell, but that's all down to yeah, the listener, obviously, that. isn't it? That's all I've written down for the technical side because I don't really like getting into the technical side if I don't understand it. I feel like a fraud. <laughs> so if I've done you wrong, listeners, just let me know and correct me and I will address it in the next episode. But as far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure that's how Salbiz started and how they're made. Now, have you got any questions so far, chaps, before I go on? Salty Kiss. I can't remember who made it. That's what I remember. Salty Kiss from <laughs> Ma- Dockyard. Ma- Magic Rock Brewery in Huddersfield. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that I remember having that and being pretty, uh, pretty sad after just taking a sip of it. Oh really? Mm. That's the same. I mean, it's got a lovely name, Salty Kiss, isn't it? Everyone loves a Salty Kiss, so I'm not. I'm quite yeah. surprised, mate. I do remember the Salty Kiss, and I, f- I think the reason you probably don't like it is because it is so salty. Like I, I really don't like that, and I have tasted other sours and thought. Well, at least it's not that salty kiss. I think it's just down to preference. Some people would love a salty beer. I personally don't. But what was your entry one then, Connor, into it? What got you? Because you said you're quite a big fan of it now. What What was your um, sort of uh, Carlsberg, if you like? What was the one that got you into it in the first place? What was your favourite? Well, reading word for word on the script that I've got in front of me, it goes like this. <laughs> Personally, my favourite sour beer is called Salty Kiss, and it's called. <laughs> And it's by the guys at the Magic Rock Brewery in Huddersfield. <laughs> Amazing. Brilliant. It's a ghost-style sour, and it's flavoured with gooseberry, sea buckthorn, I don't know what the fuck that is, and sea salt, which is that salty kiss flavour. In my opinion, when you pour it into a glass, its colour is like straw, and its aroma has a slight citric and tart finish. Mm. Mm. It was the first sour beer I ever tried, and it's been consistently <laughs> on my beer radar since. Okay. <laughs> well, apologies to Magic Rock and the work that they're doing. Then I, I, that's the one I remember. So, well, I mean, they've got their marketing right because <laughs> it's how mm. how many years has it been since you tried it? You didn't like it, but you remembered everything about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm so... a strong believer in taste changing, though. I think like you can love something like and then hate something and then grow to love it or whatever you know i was never ever a huge fan of red wine in general okay and i quite liked white wine hmm. now i can't stand white wine and absolutely love red wine i think okay. you, you just your tastes grow maybe the next inspirational new thing that i'm gonna love is sour beer well hopefully that would be the best thing to come out of this topic on the podcast that's kind hmm. of what i want the listeners at home to get achieve as well because I understand that it's not a nice sounding drink. It's, it's like trying to get someone to drink spoiled milk, isn't it? Go on, drink <laughs> it. it won't kill you, but some people like it. Yeah. It's a very We're hard sorry, sell. Magic Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I said I love it. <laughs> Gone off milk. 
hey, hey, I said I liked it, so they can kiss my ass if they're upset with that. <laughs> <laughs> we are looking for a sponsor, Magic Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Email show at bitpod.com if you'd like to sponsor the show. I'm going to have to try one again. I think, yeah, you, Connor, you're completely right. It's the semantics of it. It's the terminology of calling it a sour beer because, yeah, I'm yeah. a bit of a basic basic bitch, really, when it comes to, like, fine cuisine. If, if there's a mouldy cheese, get it away from me. If there's yeah. a gone-off beer, get it away from me. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, that's think, just me. Well, that, that's okay to be like that. I mean, I think it, it's a self-defence mechanism is to be like that. If something tastes bad, you want to take it out of your mouth because it probably will kill you. <laughs> it's the reason why poo smells bad. It's because we shouldn't eat it. <laughs> Is that, is, is that the technical term? Is that the science behind it? Is well, that's that... why I stopped eating mine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, Connor, what made you, like, start really getting into the sour beers? Like, did you just have a beer after work and you thought, you know what, I'm going to try a sour beer instead of just my regular lager or ale that I, I fancy drinking that night? Is there something that put you onto it or someone that put you onto it? He'd just finished a mouthful of his own poo and thought, what will wash that down? (laughs) (laughs) It was a poo and a sub. (laughs) (laughs) Cheese and toasted, yeah. No, try and get that image out of people's heads, really. Yeah, it's absolutely hanging. Yeah, it's this (laughs) poo beer. No, it it, it was down to a combination of things, really. I don't remember the first time I actually put that sourness in my mouth. I think it was probably a recommendation based off someone that was quite beard up in terms of beer knowledge who we worked with. And I think their sort of explanation of it didn't make me scared anymore. And I thought, you know what, this is a bit different, you know, something I've never had before. And I think it was also a challenge to sell it as a bartender. And I thought, well, I can't sell it if I don't like it. So it will make it a lot easier if I do like it. It was mind over matter, really. And I think a lot of it also came down to being that guy who likes something that no one else likes. I like being that sort of different person. You're your own man. Yeah, no, thank you, mate. Yeah, but, you know, that was about five or six years ago now, and there's been a whole surge of sour beers available on the market, which is lovely to see because it's not just me that's into them now. You know, everyone's gone through the similar uh, similar journey, I hope. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I, I think you're completely right. So when when we all used to work together at Dockyard in Media City, it was they were they were really rare. It felt like it, yeah. where, what we were doing. You'd mm. you'd get the odd one or two in, maybe every other month. You'd always be little thirty liters. I guess that might still be the case just because of the way that they're kept. Yeah. But it, it was never like we had like an endless supply of it. And now you could probably walk into most bars in Manchester and there'll be a bottle range of sours or a can range. Do mm. Do you find that you can kind of session on them kind of or is it like one and done with those it, it, it will be a one and done one um i learned that the hard way I, believe. <laughs> I remember there was an oatmeal sour by alphabet brewery great brewery based in manchester and i think i had about 11 pints of it jesus yeah and <laughs> i got home and felt fine absolutely fine ordered a domino's pizza Ate that, went to bed, and you know when you wake up bloated and you think, oh, okay, something's got to move in it, something's got to come out. I remember just going into the toilet and thinking, bloody hell, it's my whole stomach is just swollen. Oh fuck! Yeah, and it was really bad. I thought I'm going to have to do something about this, and yeah, 
acid beer is essentially what sour beer is. And <laughs> if, you ever, if you have a stomach acid, <laughs> acid reflux, that sort of heartburn feeling, can you imagine like 11 pints worth of that? <laughs> it's enough to put you off the beer, actually. But, you know, I'm, I'm still trucking with that. I'm still enjoying sour beer. So <laughs> my advice is to not binge on it. Definitely not. Just have a sort of couple tipples, one or two cans, but mm-hmm. enjoy it as a healthy, balanced diet. That's all I'm going to say. You know, don't don't overdo it like I did. You can have Domino's pizza if you want to as well. <laughs> I've, um, I've enjoyed hearing about this, though, because it's... It does naturally follow on from your subway chat last week. I think. Yeah. Again, the way that you describe things to me, Connor, I always want to just go and give it a go. Thank mm. you. So well, that, when, that's, the, that's when, the pubs, when the pubs are back open, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe avoid salty kiss. That's I'm absolutely definitely, fine. Definitely target maybe a fruit bear to start with. Maybe like a Bacchus. Wean yeah, myself definitely. in that way. Yeah, that's a very easy and sensible way to go into it, mate. I'm very supportive of that. George, do you reckon you will? You don't have to, mate. It's all right. I'll find out next week. No, 100%. I mean, you guys know me. I love an ale. And my favourite beer of all time is Titanic's Plum Porter, Plummy Pea. And yeah, that's a very fruity beer. So I feel like for me, it's going to be an easier transition than for for you, Webb. You've pretty much kind of sworn away from like your, your beers and stuff and gone more down the spirit and a mixer route like the gin and tonics and that oh, yeah, i am a gin and tonic demon these days but again that's a good good uh, reference point because i went to nottingham beer festival at hmm. a time when i was just all about the beer and i was trying everything and it was like one of the hottest days ever and all the beer as you know in a in a beer festival is just out the barrel so it's pretty warm you just get yeah. what you get and there was a gin stand with big goblets full of ice. Didn't even like gin and tonic at the time. And I just drank them because it was too hot of a day to drink warm beer. And I've just really enjoyed gin ever since. So <laughs> it's like you say, it's, it's a mind over matter thing. You think you, you think you don't like something. And if you have it at the right time, in the right place, with the right people, you, you probably get into it. Like you say, somebody who you used to work with who was clued up kind of gave you that knowledge. And Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that, mate. I'll definitely be trained. There's some, some sours out. Well, that's music to my ears, chaps. Well, that's what I brought to the table then. A bag full of sour cans. I hope you all give it a try at home. Get in touch on social media if you do and let us know. Again, our Instagram and Twitter handle is at bitpod, B-I-T-T-P-O-D. Or you can email us, can't you guys? Certainly can. Show at bitpod.com thanks again to george's older sexier brother kev for getting in touch earlier in the show as well sorry Ooh. it took us a little while to read out the email you don't have to take that kev you can kick off you're fully within your rights to kick off so i understand if you will well props to him for sending that email in because he's uh, currently trying to organize a uh, a wedding and he has been doing all throughout this lockdown so bless him it's oh, wow. not been easy good luck with that kevin mate i hope it pulls off soon yeah but yeah, I think that nicely ties up this episode, doesn't it, chaps? Episode five, that's finished. Right. We we are thoroughly enjoying it. I absolutely love catching up with you boys. I think it's not going to be too long now as well till we can sit around an actual table. We're going to have Indeed. a couple more exciting guests coming up as well. So next week and in a few more weeks as well, we've got some exciting people coming onto the show just to share with us something that they enjoy or love or whatever. And it's a chance for us three to sort of sit back and absorb some of their knowledge which is always fun we can feast on their brains for a change and um yeah just gives the listener an episode where they don't have to listen to us drone on for 45 minutes isn't it 
Yeah, and speaking of that as well, um, obviously we're always looking for guests. So if someone of our listeners fancied a, a go on bringing something to the table, could always uh, get you guys on the podcast too. As well, if you've listened to all five episodes now, you'll be well aware that kind of anything is up for discussion. We've had a right range of topics, haven't we? I think every time we put the show notes out, it's uh, it's the strangest mix of things. Well, thank you so much again for listening, guys. We have been Bring It to the Table. I'm one of your hosts, Connor, and I'm joined by Stephen Webb. Say hi, Stephen, and bye, Stephen. Hi and bye, guys. And same to George Horsley. Please say something to the mic. See you later, guys. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. bye bye